My name is Dave Heinrichs. I'm one of the pastors here. Some of you might be wondering what happened to my arm. Well, I was on a fundraiser bike ride last week. And just so you know, you actually raise more funds if you have an injury post-ride than you do when you, make, when you ask for funds beforehand. The sympathy vote works. Yeah, so there you go. Um, yeah, but I'm very grateful to, to God. It's not a serious injury and for so much of your prayers and support. Uh, you may know that we are uh, at part three of a four-part series on reconciliation. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I opened it up. We talked about what is reconciliation and the need for us to reconcile with God. Last week, Sarah blessed us with a message on uh, reconciling with ourselves. Next week, uh, we're going to be talking about reconciliation with creation. And this morning, we're talking about reconciliation with others. And it's my honor to welcome our guest speaker, Dr. Ray Eldridge, who is here with his wife, Elaine. Dr. Eldridge is the director of the Indigenous Studies Program at the Vancouver School of Theology, whose mission is to partner with Indigenous Church around theological education. And although, you know, this is really important, Elaine told me the most important thing is grandchildren. That's what she was saying to me, so... No, I'm just kidding. Dr. Eldridge, can you come on up? And I'd love to pray for you. And I just want to say thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Thank you. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And I just thank you so much for our brother, Ray. And I just ask you, Lord, that, um, yeah, that you would be with him as he speaks. And Spirit of God, I ask you that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying through him and hearts that are willing to comply with where you are leading us. We love you so much, and we thank you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I just want to acknowledge that the sermon I'm about to give is taking place on the traditional ancestral unceded territory of the Coquitlam peoples. I'm thankful for their continued presence and stewardship of this land, and I am a guest here from Swan River First Nations Treaty 8, and I'm trying to live in a good, respectful, and honorable way. And I want to make sure I acknowledge that today. I want to read a... If you brought your Bible, it's a Baptist church. They should have a Bible, I think. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 6, chapter 6, verse 11. And it says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are our ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, At an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance in affliction, hardship, calamities, beating, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken frankly to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. There is no restriction in our affliction, but on our affection, but only in yours. In return, I speak as to children. Open wide your hearts also. This is the word of God for the people of God. On September the 30th is Truth and Reconciliation Day. The making of the Truth and Reconciliation Day as a statutory holiday came as a result of the request from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission set about to listen to the survivors of the residential school. And in their telling of their stories, one of the things that came out of there was the making, the establishment of a national day of truth and reconciliation. In the face of the cultural genocide that Canada perpetrated against the First Nations, against the Métis and the Inuit people of Canada, the First Peoples called for reconciliation. Another phrase that I like to use in relation to reconciliation is restorative justice. Restorative justice is an attempt at reconciliation, oftentimes used when talking about crime and trying to heal the damage that happens as a result of crime. But restorative justice is an attempt at reconciliation. It involves three movements that often overlap. It involves telling the truth. And it involves listening, but listening with your heart. And it involves coming up with a shared plan on how to fix the damage. But I am not sure most Canadians believed that the things that happened to the First Peoples in Canada were really as bad as the stories said until the finding of the unmarked graves, first in Kamloops and then in other places, that society began to think it really did happen. It really did happen. 
reconciliation is calling for a transformation of society. Reconciliation, I always hope, could be decolonizing for our country, but only if it's transformational. We cannot decolonize as people unless we are transformed. And we can read today's passage through the lens of decolonization, but we need help. You see, you can never be transformed or reconciled or born again. Those are all Christian terms we talk about. We can't do those things without the creator and creation and all that that involves. So I want to talk heart to heart. I'm a Cree from northern Alberta. I was born in Grand Prairie. That's where I met my wife. I met her in a little town named Wembley. I think it was called Wembley because a bunch of folks from the UK came over from Northern Ireland in 1910 and then in uh, Scotland in 1923 and somehow few, those families came together and, and uh, then they had a granddaughter who I met when I was 14 years old. And I saw her in that town. Actually, she came looking for me. She told my brother that. She said, my brother came into the house we were helping my dad build, and she said, Ray, he said, Ray, there's some girls out there. They want to look at you. <laughs> so I went out, and I saw this girl standing there. We were both about 14. And the creator said, that's the, wom that's the woman you're going to marry and I was scared to death, so I ran away, which is what most men do in the face of love. They run away the first time they feel it. But eventually, we uh, got married, and as Dave said, we, we have some grandkids now. We've been married 43 years this year, 43 years this year. So. Why, uh, when I was growing up, you tried to pretend that you weren't indigenous because it wasn't very popular. There was a lot of racism toward, and prejudice towards being indigenous where I grew up in northern Alberta. And so you tried to change, you tried to pretend you were something else. That changed though, maybe after Dances with Wolves. You know, I don't know, it always seems like it. A white man's got to pretend he's indigenous before it's okay to be indigenous. I don't know. I'm being sarcastic. It actually started happening in the 70s. But, but I was the third generation of people who tried to pretend that we weren't indigenous. Uh, my grandfather told everybody he was Chinese <laughs> and even learned Cantonese to try to pull it off. My mother used to say that we were mostly French and Scottish, and I'd say, ach, no, mom. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. <laughs> she thought it would make us feel better, I guess. But when we took my mom to my grandmother's funeral, we were grown then, my brothers, my older brother and I, and one of my younger brothers, we took my mom to our grandmother's funeral. And we were sitting there, and my younger brother leaned over and said, I wonder when all the French and Scottish relatives are getting here. 
because all these indigenous people kept coming in. I tell that story to say at one point, when I was halfway through my master's degree, I just thought, I wonder what it would be like if I started to read scripture and do theology looking through the lens that my indigenous people give to me. And everything changed for me. And so that's, that's I'm borrowing from that as we read this scripture and think about it. It's important for us to understand that we're created and we have a culture. In the Cree Bible it says, God so loved the land. The word we use is aski, which means land, the culture, the people, all that that all of creation. God so loved the land. But we don't we don't see a lot of value in that. In fact, when it comes to scripture, we tend to we want to find the principles and and that's important. There's nothing wrong with the principles in Scripture, but sometimes we forget about the story itself, and sometimes we miss things. And I just found that when I read Scripture through indigenous eyes that I saw things that weren't there before. For example, when God comes to a 99-year-old man and says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. That's hilarious. If you thought, no, one, no wonder Sarah starts laughing, right? This is a 99-year-old guy. Nothing's happening. And he's going to be the father of many nations? Yeah, right. I saw humor where there wasn't humor before. Sometimes I thought about why, why it helps me to think in this way. I thought maybe because... We're more Eastern. Indigenous people are more Eastern. Shame, honor, society is more about how, at least the Cree. When, it, when I say that, it means when you tend not to be so confrontational. You tend to try to give people a way to back out graciously. And, uh, and that when you do something wrong, there's some, a shame, legitimate shame shows you a way back to an honorable relationship. There's a path there. The problem in Canada, though, is that indigenous people were made to feel ashamed of who they are, and it was illegitimate shame. When you make someone feel ashamed of just because of the color of their skin or because of the way they talk, when you make people feel ashamed about that, that's illegitimate shame. They shouldn't feel ashamed of that. But when you make people feel ashamed like that, then you, you give them all this shame and there is no path. There is no path. You're just stuck there. You can't, you can't go anywhere. It's even worse when it's physical abuse or sexual abuse because then when that happens to young people, maybe even when it happens to any person, when they're physically abused or sexually abused, they end up feeling ashamed, and it's not their fault, yet they feel all the shame. And there's no way back to honor. There is no way. You just live in condemnation. The gospel story, though, if we think about what's happening in this Corinthians passage and think about it as story, instead of principles, think about it as story. If you just think about the story of the church and the story of Paul and what's going on, then you see it's a, it's a little bigger place. 
Some truths are so, so big, they can only be contained in story. They can only be contained in story. And so what's happening in 2 Corinthians, there's this, it's the ongoing story of God's people and that, that, that there was supposed to be this diversity. That's the story that's happening here. The new, in, the, in the New Testament, as Jesus comes and then the church is established, it's moving out across cultures. We see that in its very beginning, the church is established in the, in, the, in the Pentecost. In Pentecost, we have, if you look at Pentecost and the story of the Tower of Babel and you hold them side by side, you see people weren't doing, in, in the story of the Tower of Babel, people aren't doing what God's intended. If God intends that people fill the earth and replenish it, and draw forth what is best. That's what we're called to do as human beings, to draw forth what is best from the world. And yet, they weren't doing that. They were just huddling together. And they were all speaking the same language. Because when you put diversity, when you, when you spread people out over a large distance, then you, people begin to talk differently because they're in different parts of the country and then they, there's different languages, there's people dress differently. There's a richness to it. People weren't doing that. So God scatters them by making them speak different languages. In Pentecost, we see that the gospel can go across any culture and be proclaimed in any language. We see this diversity. That's what God's doing. And in Corinthians and in the New Testament, there is this ongoing tension between cultural groups. There's a tension between Jew and Greek. There's a tension between men and women. And there are many challenges, diversity, but diversity is God's plan. It's God's plan for creation. You go outside at this time of year and you see the different colors and you you see again, this is God's plan for diversity. Except the history of humankind is of conquest, that we don't like diversity. Ruler after ruler has tried to bring all people under their dominion. Ruler after ruler trying to make all people the same. Christian history is filled with stories of discrimination and holocaust. The Nazi holocaust was carried out by a right-wing extremist party that did not see value in certain people's identity and tried to destroy them. In Canada, they tried to re-socialize indigenous people and tried to make them have Euro-Canadian Euro values because they believed that that was what's necessary for make them, to make them fit into society. Diversity was not embraced, even though it's God's plan. Paul, in his writing to the Corinthians, says that we used to look people and judge them by human standards, but no longer. Paul once thought of Christ as only a man, and he persecuted the church because he saw it as a threat. The church, early on, it was just seen as a Jewish sect, and Paul, like many good religious leaders, saw this sect as causing harm to true Jewish faith. They weren't Jewish enough, so Paul persecuted them. But he said, I no longer see Christ that way. Paul's encounter with Christ caused 
caused him to change his perspective of the Gentiles. Paul has to embrace God's plan of diversity. I think sometimes we don't realize how big of a transformation it was for Paul. Paul goes from persecuting Jewish Christians, trying to make them true Jews again, or sort of punish them for getting, losing track, that he was, he was so consumed with making people live according to Scripture that he was persecuting them. Now he's completely turns around. He has to stop. Not only must he stop doing that, but he actually has to start reaching out to the Gentiles. The funny thing is, is that he becomes more Jewish in doing that than what he was doing before. Because it says, the promise to Abraham was that in Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Reconciliation restores God's created diversity and God's plan. The challenge, this is a challenge though, because we in the West have a long history of being used by the powers to be to spread many things, diversity not being one of them. And, but reconciliation is about restoring diversity. And it may, it's maintained by a ministry of reconciliation. The problem with most of our theology is that we view reconciliation as an event in time, a single event in time that once accomplished, it is done and we can move on. I have been to numerous reconciliation type events. People feel bad, they cry, and then we have this moment. I'm not trying to no, I always sound so cynical. I'm not, I'm not being, like, they're nice. They are. You come together, you cry. You, you sing some good songs. I mean, that's, that's nice. And then we go to the IHOP after and have pancakes. And, huh. No, maybe you don't, but that's what you do in a Pentecostal church. You have church till midnight and then go to the IHOP. People feel bad, they cry, and then we have this moment that the Spirit of God reveals something about ourselves. There's always that moment. Walter Brueggemann says that's the moment that you have to teach yourself, be transformed. Otherwise, we just go away. It's like the passage that says the person who hears the Scripture is but doesn't do anything is like the person who sees themselves in the mirror and then just goes away and forgets what they look like. Maybe that's true. You can see how we just view reconciliation. Well, there's a couple of things that happen, actually. I think, I think in the evangelical, the younger evangelical church, so I, I was first ordained in the Christian Missionary Alliance, and I think in the holiness church, we were so focused on the holiness of God and making people holy that we forgot that God's plan, salvation is reconciliation. That's, that is reconciliation. That's the plan to bring everything into harmony. I think we were so focused on the holiness of God that we forgot that was the, the whole point is to heal relationships. Sometimes I think our whole point was just to persecute other people who weren't doing things the way that we were doing things. Maybe that was only in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Maybe that only didn't happen anyplace else. But reconciliation is a ministry. It's something that's supposed to be ongoing. 
It's a process. It's about transformation. If we do not understand that reconciliation is an ongoing process, then we will just use reconciliation kinds of events to make people, to sort of placate me people. We'll just use them to take away any impetus for real change in society. We will end up using reconciliation as a means to maintain the status quo and a means to eliminate diversity. Maybe it's because in the Western Church in Canada we viewed reconciliation as only being necessary between God and us. So I'm glad that you're doing this four-part series to see that there's more than that. We have only focused on the vertical relationship between God and people, but Christ is not only the mediator between God and people, but also between people and people. God's glory is revealed as the hurts and pains of relationship are confronted and worked through. And a new, better relationship is began and nurtured. One of the things that needed to happen in Canada to continue to be a good nation is for Canada needed to stop being triumphalistic and to embrace our failures. And establishing a national day of truth and reconciliations, acknowledging that we haven't always done things right, but we're trying to learn and we're trying to move ahead together. When my what my indigenous eyes notice in this story is that Paul begins his letter by talking to the church at Corinth. So he's talking, you've got to understand, he's talking to believers. He's writing to the church at Corinth, and he's, taking, and he's talking along, and you can read it, and then he says to these believers, so be reconciled to God in 520. Paul seems to be saying that reconciliation with God should be manifest by our relationship with one another. And that because the Corinthians church was not in a great relationship with Paul or the suffering church, their relationship with God was maybe even tenuous. But so often when I've heard of this, because we're so focused on this relationship, and that's good, there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we forget that if it's not manifest in our, better, in our relationship with others, then we're just kind of using this relationship to avoid taking responsibility for the rest of the relationships in our lives. So every year, you should be able to ask your partner, am I less of a jerk than I was, you know? Am I less of a jackass than I was a year ago? Elaine always says, no, you're the same jerk I married. <laughs> no, she never says that. And she always tells me, don't tell that joke, but I just... <laughs> we ought to be... It ought to change how we treat one another. In the church, yes, but also outside the church and in society. I've noticed in the indigenous church that many times I think kids reject the church because they see how much parents fight in the church. We say that we follow a God of love, yet we fight and we cut down one another and we treat one another with disrespect and we call each other names. And if someone else believes something different theologically, we point out how bad they are. 
That's not reconciliation. Paul says reconciliation reveals the righteousness of God. As we work together, he says, with him, we urge you not to accept the grace of God in vain. The problem with the Corinthians church is there was all these schisms in it. There's all these divisions. You can read about in this 1 Corinthians 11 when he's talking about the, taking the, doing communion. He says, you know, you don't judge the body rightly because you have all these divisions. If you have all these divisions, how can you, how can you take that meal, he says. When you say that you're right with everybody and you take that meal, you're eating condemnation upon yourself. The church in Canada tried to make indigenous children into something they had not been created to be. It tried to re-socialize children because they were never Christian enough. The whole doctrine of re-socialization or the plan of re-socialization in Canada was to take kids, take them away from their parents to break that relationship. It tried to take them away from their land so that they would be better capitalists and willing to go anywhere for the sake of work or money. It tried to break their relationship with the Creator by saying that their spirituality was demonic. And it ended up destroying their relationship with themselves, as I shared at the beginning, because then you begin to hate who you are. In fact, a friend of mine once said, the first time I heard Christianity, I liked it. I liked it because it hated being indigenous, and I hated being indigenous too. The Corinthians, like our North American society, has received many good things, but if that does not translate into a community characterized by wanting to work towards better relationship, then the grace of God has been received in vain. The goodness of God is supposed to lead to repentance, not to thinking we've created heaven on earth. The goodness of God should reveal to a fighting world that there's a better way. Paul wants the Corinthians to know that his ministry has been revealed through the things that he has suffered. And it culminates in verses 11 and 13 in chapter 6. We urge you, Corinthians, open your hearts to us. We have not closed our hearts to you. He says that even though they've continually rejected Paul. The Corinthians kept saying, oh, we have our own apostles. We have these, and that's why Paul, Paul calls them super apostles. Our apostles are better than you. They haven't suffered like you. They're wealthier than you. And that's why Paul recounts everything that he's gone through. We urge you, Corinthians, to open your hearts. Open your hearts to us. You should be able to do exegesis on our lives and on our Christian society and see Christ is revealed. The toughest thing about reconciliation is that you have to open your heart. Again, we should like to think we have arrived and we don't want to open our heart. I see that most in my own life when it comes to the relationship that Elaine and I have had. We used to do a marriage ministry. And I realized that so often... I, I apologize, but I apologize just because I just want to feel better about who I am. So I apologize. And then I remember on one occasion, Elaine started telling me how much it hurt, just how much pain it caused. And then of course the immediate thing 
I tried to convince her that she didn't really mean what she was saying. I wasn't really that bad, but I was. I was. So then, you know, that's what men do. That's what, I don't know if all men do that. That's what this man does. I apologize, and then if people tell me how much it hurts, then I want to shut them down. I, I said I was sorry. Why don't you just forget about it? That was a long time ago. Why don't you just move on? Why don't you just move on? But anyone who suffered deeply or suffered abuse knows that if something happens and you get triggered, you're right back there. It doesn't matter how long ago it was. You're back there again. But it also was... A, Open heart is difficulty in our own, in the Christian Missionary Alliance. I remember a time I met with a, there was a, another Cree guy and I, we met with, we were part of the First Nations Alliance Church of Canada. It was an attempt to establish sort of indigenous church in the Christian Missionary Alliance. We'd met with the vice president and another board member who was a lawyer. There's always a lawyer present. In Canada, you see, when the apologies first started happening in the 80s, the churches were afraid if they apologized, they would be admitting culpability and it would cost them something. Not all denominations did that. In fact, there's one, I think the Salvation, actually told, Salvation Army told the First Nations, no, you need to sue us. That's the only mechanism we have to pay and help to heal the damage. So that's an exception to that. But lots of times they didn't want to make themselves culpable. At one point the vice president said, I remember he said to us, what do you want? What do you people want? He, it, he was frustrated, but also I think he really wanted to know. And my friend said to him, I remember, I remember it was just, it was wonderful. He used to always say these, my friend always said these things though. He said, we want your heart. That's all we have ever wanted. And the vice president, in a moment of vulnerability and honesty, said, but we don't do that. But we don't do that. And as institutions, as denominations, we don't. We don't. We have to be transformed. We have to open our hearts. Paul requests to the Corinthians that you embrace God's ministry of reconciliation and open their hearts to him. He said, we've not closed our hearts to you, but you have closed your hearts to us. The toughest thing about diversity is that our institutions are so seeped in Western tradition they do not want to make room for anything new. They believe that they have always done what is right and have no need of reconciliation. But the ministry of reconciliation is, just, is not just about everyone out there, it's about us. Diversity is our witness. So Paul shares with the Corinthians to really embrace their partnership with him and the suffering church. He says, you need to do that. For you see, that is where Paul was ministering. But the Corinthians were in love with the way they did, that they did things. So often in the West, we always think we are protecting something. A Christian nation or a Christian ideal or a Christian value. We have somehow created something like heaven on earth, we think. But, but whenever you start to try and bring heaven down to earth, you usually bring hell up instead. That's usually what happens. So often the West resists diversity because they believe it will ruin what is here. 
But the ministry of reconciliation seeks to restore diversity because we can embrace those who are different because it is what we were made for. Mission should give us more and more impetus to continue to be transformed. But instead, we often do mission as something we must cross. You have to cross a large body of water or, or take a long plane ride, long train ride. That's what we think about mission. Because we think that we've established heaven here on earth. There's, we are in this journey towards the culmination of history. We're now and not yet. Today is the day of salvation, but salvation is revealed as we embrace diversity through reconciliation. Self-protection is why the Corinthians resisted Paul, asking them to make good on sharing their wealth with the poor. Paul writes about it in the Corinthian correspondence. He says, I want him who has much to give to him who has little. So that the one who has little doesn't have too, has enough, and the one that has a lot doesn't have too much. That's what I want you to do. Didn't know Paul was a socialist. Who knew? Oh, that might have crossed the line for some people. <laughs> but we we may act Christianly and are non-believing. He says, he, only says in Corinthians 2, he says, don't be rushing around to find the perfect spouse. That's why he says, look, if you're married to someone and they're not a believer, stay married if they want to stay married. What are you doing? It's not running around trying to find the perfect partner that you find heaven on earth. Christ has brought the kingdom. We're supposed to live as if we are in the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God is within you. 2 Corinthians 6, 2-3, Paul says in his story, he says, you need to embrace the suffering church because by embracing the suffering church, you will, this will prevent you from putting a stumbling block in front of other people coming to salvation. The whole thing about mission is, David Bosch writes about the split in North America between evangelism and mission. What happened in North America and Canada and the United States, it probably happened other places too, probably England or Great Britain, I should say, and the European countries, the Western European countries, is that everyone, everyone was Christian, so they thought they'd created Christian nations. Manifest destiny in the United States was the idea that the United States thought that itself was the new Israel that was bringing the kingdom of God to earth. In Canada, some of that thinking was also in southern Ontario during the revivals, the same idea of manifest destiny, that God through Canada would have dominion from sea to sea. And when you think like that, you see, you'd actually divide mission from evangelism. Mission is about seeing that in every culture, in every culture, there's God's witnesses there. Following the example set out in Pentecost by the Spirit, you, you follow what the Spirit is doing to establish Christian communities, churches, in every culture in the world. That's what mission is about. But when you think that you're a Christian nation and that you've established Christian kingdom, that's what Christendom is, then you stop doing that in your own country. And then evangelism, you're just always trying to get people to come into whatever you have. 
The problem that is, it's highly individualistic. And it makes you do strange things like residential schools. Because and then you, it makes you do things because you think some people aren't Christian enough. So the call to reconciliation is transformation. Because we're so focused on just individuals, the call to reconciliation is transformation remains for indigenous people a call to be assimilated into the dominant church. That's the challenge we have to overcome in, in this time. Reconciliation, what, it wasn't just about having some several years of events and then producing 94 calls to action. For churches, they could say, good, we've dealt with that, now we can just move on. No, we need to help establish the indigenous church. We need to partner with the indigenous church. For indigenous people receive the gospel. Receive the gospel. Many of those children who died in residential school had been baptized into the church. I'm not trying to argue for or against infant baptism. I'm just saying that they were part of the church. But they weren't Christian enough. So Canada persecuted them, and they used the church to do it. And we're trying to heal from that damage. We must... So the, the challenge is to stop thinking only in terms of trying to make our churches more indigenous-friendly. Because on one level, then, you're just saying to individual indigenous people, just come to our church. It'll be, it'll be fine. It'll be grand. But we're forgetting about seeing that an indigenous church established in indigenous communities, partnering with them, whatever that means, whatever that means. But that would be another sermon, and I'd probably run out of time now. As we move forward together, God has a mission for us. And he's placed us in it. And part of that is to tell the truth, to listen to one another, to try to come up with a plan to heal the damage. And that way we will be walking in this reconciliation, embracing diversity, opening our hearts to one another, trying to deal with the stumbling blocks we may have put in other people's way so that God would be glorified. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.